All right, church, open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Such a beautiful time of the year uh, that, we have, uh, to, that we have this year. Think about Easter. Easter came super early this year. Uh, but like Michael prayed just a minute ago, we're, we're looking forward to Easter. And one of the ways we're doing that is Monday, Thursday, this upcoming Thursday. It'll be a great uh, short worship service. Again, we're just spending some time trying to meditate and dwell deeply in the reality of what's been done for us in Christ. And, uh, and we have an opportunity to do that today with Palm Sunday, and then also again Monday, Thursday, and then of course uh, with Easter and so it's a beautiful reminder, Palm Sunday, to see Jesus in humility coming in to uh, Jerusalem to die, that humiliation, and then coming in not on this brilliant steed, but then on a donkey. And then I was also reminded uh, that Josh didn't grow up in Columbia with Hosanna, right? Like, what is Hosanna? Like, you know, it's Hosanna, the cousin of Susanna, you know what I mean? Like, uh, but you know, we go to Kroger's and Aldi, Aldi's too, right? So anyway, so good, good Southern twist on the word. Uh, but like you guys, like I mentioned, uh, what we're doing right now, we will take a break for next week uh, whenever we'll go directly and talk just about the resurrection. But these past several weeks and, and up leading up to uh, whenever we do have the election of our first officers here um, at King's Church, we are a church plant of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. And in that way, we have been borrowing elders from other churches, one of which we have with us, our, uh, Mr. Uh, Larry's with us today, and uh, we thank him for his service, Larry Stokes. It's a pleasure to have him back with us today. But part of the process uh, that we're going through is nominating elders in that, in that whole deal. And just a reminder, on your way out, you'll, you'll see on the back table, and I think that uh, we'll have an usher with those sheets. Take them home, even if you're just visiting with King's Church. It'd be just be good to know. It'd just be good to know how we do things and what we believe. And just to let you guys know, again, I'll be reminding you for the next several weeks about our process. We go through nominations. Well, you'll nominate uh, names for elder and deacon. You have plenty of information on that on the letter. And then we'll have an interview uh, with that person and with that person and their spouse. We'll have the training of the willing and qualified, uh, and then we'll have an election here as, as a congregation. So we need those back by April 11th, um, and we ask that you not nominate your spouse, but think about some other uh, men in the church. So again, note on this series, what I'm calling it is God's Delegated Authority, a deep look into church leadership. God's delegated authority, a deep look into church leadership. And this is our first time at King's Church choosing leaders. So I think it's important for us to look at what the Bible says about this, this topic. And this is why it really matters. Because you as the members of King's Church, that's who you are. If you're visiting, you know how you're going to learn how we do things at King's Church. You have covenanted, okay? And we're going to talk about, put the wheels on that word what that means today, actually. But you have committed, you have covenanted to submit to the leaders as long as they follow the Word of God and serve you in that way. And it makes a big difference because good leaders make all the difference. History will prove that out in the church and really the history of any group of people all together. Leaders make all the difference. And they also, it's a big difference because we have a humongous mission that God has called King's Church to and every church to. And that is to fill the earth with God's glory and to see people come to know God personally and to build churches, 
families of God, local expressions of that, just like your family is special to you, but you're also part of a bigger family, right? Just like this specific expression of the church, known as King's Church, is beautiful in, this, in a nuclear family type of way, and yet also is a part of a bigger family. And that's beautiful too, okay? That's beautiful too, all right? So we have a big mission. We want to bring God to people all over the world. We want people to have a deep love and, and friendship with the Lord. And we also want people to find community, to have partnership and friendship in the mission that God has called us to and just in life in general. And we want to live on purpose and love those people. And one of the key ways that that happens and it flourishes is to have good leadership, to continually call us back to those things that we've committed ourselves to. The other thing that I would say is there is just a lot of information in the Bible about the way church should be led. We'll talk about that as we move through this uh, series. And so it, it, it's a good thing for us to do to examine these topics. And then uh, there, one of the main questions that I feel like people are asking as they're examining Christianity is, why are there so many denominations? And one of the reasons for that, and I'll have a whole sermon in this series basically devoted to that topic, okay? And one of the answers to that question is because there is disagreement within the big family, right? Just like there's disagreement within your big family, right? about what the Bible says about that. So what we're going to do is just go straight to the authority. We're going to go straight to the authority, and we're going to look through the Bible and, and talk about those things. And so we'll talk about elders and deacons and women leadership in the church and church discipline, what is that. But the foundational piece of all of it we talked about last week, which is God's delegated authority. But you don't want to live under, under authority. I don't want to live under authority. We both bristle at that idea but you are created to, number one, commanded to, number two, those are significant, but number three, you will not flourish as a human being, as a society, unless you are under the delegated authority of God. Okay? And that has, its, that has its way in several different forms. Church leadership, right? It, it plays out in, in families. It plays out governmentally. Those are all different humongous topics. Specifically in this series, we're looking at church leadership. So last week we looked at how in the garden, before sin, the human beings were created under the authority of God, and then how God built His kingdom and saved us through the patriarchs, and Moses and the prophet, and the law, the Levites, the priests, the judges, and eventually the kings, all of which had a measure of God's delegated authority. That God is working His authority out on the earth through human beings. Okay? And then all of these things, again, as a summary of last week, all of these things have their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who is the prophet, priest, and king, the fulfillment of all of those offices. The book of Hebrews, in chapter 3 and verse 1, calls him the high priest of our confession. And, and, and then at the end of verse 3 says, worth more glory than Moses. Greatest priest, greatest prophet. And then... Paul writes to his protege, Timothy, and says, The Lord Jesus Christ, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, King of kings and Lord of lords. The, all of the delegated authority of Jesus Christ, is, I mean, all the, of God, is delegated into Jesus Christ. And the two questions we looked at as we closed last week were these questions. Who does Jesus delegate His authority to? 
And in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, one of the most popular scriptures in all of the Bible, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. Ba- uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. He is giving the authority to the apostles to build the church. Second question. How is this global group of disciples supposed to be governed? How is this global group of disciples supposed to be governed? What is the authority in the church? Authority all in Jesus. Jesus to the apostles. Apostles, now what? Because they're gone. None of them are living anymore. Now what? Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Apostle Paul is talking to elders in the church. And he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which your Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. That all the authority of, his, of the Old Testament finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ and then Jesus Christ delegates his authority based on the word of God to whom? The officers of the church. So that was last week, Okay. And then we're going to get into, after Easter, each one of these different offices, elder, deacon, pastor, different things like that, like what I've told you about. But before we get there, um, I want to talk about what the church is in general and what the membership of the church is and where we even get that idea from in Scripture. And we're going to look at what I think is the best passage uh, this morning for that. And I hope you're following. I'm taking some time here. I think it's important. And building a, a very important argument that the church is the most important institution in the world. The church is the only institution for which God bled to create. Everything we're talking about at Easter happens so that the church would exist. It's the most important institution in the history of the world. So choosing our leaders is something that we need to very prayerfully consider and also understand what the Word of God says. So that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. All right, so... Who makes up the church? Who are the people that the leaders are responsible to lead? My title for the sermon this morning is the, is the, the doctrine is church membership is the skeleton of the body of Christ. The church membership is the skeleton of the body of Christ. That the membership in the church is not just commitment to a club or group or association that many of us are a part of and should be part of. It's bigger than that. That there's a covenantal commitment between Christians and the local church to serve the church, to love her members, and to submit to her leadership, because God died for this church, okay? All right, let's look at the Bible this morning. Let me draw your attention to Ephesians chapter 1, and I'll begin reading, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 2, and I'll begin reading at verse 11. Therefore, remember that Formerly, you who are Gentiles by birth, called the uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, that is done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ." 
For he himself is our peace, and he has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing it in his flesh, the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body reconciled both them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Father in heaven, as we consider this, your word together, I pray that you would help us to worship you over your word. And I pray, God, that you would take the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together and make them pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's the idea. Local church membership is the skeleton that gives shape to our commitment to Christ and each other. I'll say that again. Local church membership. Okay, well, membership in a body of Christ like King's Church, of something like that, is the skeleton that gives shape to two things. Your commitment to God and Christ and also your commitment to each other. Okay, Now imagine your life without a skeleton. It, it, you, you, you would have functioning organs and such, right? Blood would be in your body, you'd have flesh and all that junk. But you wouldn't be able to do anything because you'd just be a blob of, of flesh that just sits there. Your life would not happen without a skeleton. However, you never think about it unless something goes wrong. You never think about your bones unless one of them is broken or you have some kind of disease that damages the bones. Okay? It's vital, but you don't really ever think about it because you can't see it. In a lot of ways, church membership is like that. It's something that we take for granted. It's never anything that we've taken a deep dive into to, to think about and to wonder, is this something that's meaningful and then also at the same time impactful? We may think something like, oh yeah, I've been a church, uh, a, a member of a church for years, and we don't really think about the weight and the glory of what that means. Or you could be on the other side of the coin. Say, I don't really need to be a member of a church. Just, you know, come, visit, or do my thing, but I don't really need to be a member. But those are very popular ideas today. Both of them are. And what I want us to do together this morning is look at what the Bible says about church membership. And what I hope to do is to show you the, the glory of, of it, okay, and the power of it, and that you can see your commitment to Christ and your commitment to each other and the skeleton that holds it all together in this thing, this biblical idea called church membership. A few points this morning. Number one, the relationships only flourish in covenant. Relationships only flourish in covenant. Number two, church membership. The church membership is a covenant relationship. Number three, the blessings and responsibilities of church membership. And then finally, and very briefly, uh, the connection of church membership to the subject of leadership in the church. Okay? 
Relationships only flourish in covenant. That membership is a covenant relationship, blessings and responsibility, and then a connection to church leadership. Number one, relationships only flourish in covenant, okay, or with commitment. Uh, verses 11 through 13, uh, Paul is talking to these Ephesians, and he's writing in the letter. By the way, it, the Ephesians... I could, talk, I could just preach to the book of Ephesians all the time. It's one of my favorite books of the whole Bible, and one of the reasons I love it is because it's the best place to find a comprehensive theology or system of beliefs about the church. If you have a question about the church, uh, you're most likely going to find your answers uh, in, in the book of Ephesians. Okay? So it's one of the reasons why I love it. And he's writing this letter, and what's happened is Jews have been converted to Christianity, and they've, they have acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah they've been waiting for. And a lot of their categories clicked, right? All those Old Testament categories, like we were talking about a minute ago, clicked in this fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And they, they put their faith in. And the same thing is happening in this new covenant is now expanded beyond just this one nation to all nations, every tribe, tongue, in the whole entire world. And Gentiles, non-Jews, that's just what that word means, who, al- who always have hated each other, hated each other, Okay? are now coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And what they're having to do is the hard work of figuring out how to live together in communion. Really hard work. Okay? Uh, when you're talking about the nitty-gritty of church, that's being able to come together in a building and, and worship together and sing in the same songs and things like that. That's a beautiful thing. But it is only an expression of what our lives should be like. Okay? Intertwined with each other. And they were really struggling with this. They were really struggling with this for very good reasons, okay? Uh, Gentiles hated Jews. Jews hated Gentiles. There was persecution on both sides. And and the kind of persecution where, like, your cousin died because of it. I mean, real persecution, okay? Real hatred between them two. And so this is a very real issue. And so the Apostle Paul, in this specific passage, is talking about how what has happened in Jesus Christ can bring these two enemies together into one body, the church of Jesus Christ. And so he talks about here the thing that used to separate you, right? The entry of of circumcision and some of these other laws that separated you uh, in Christ have now, through the book, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. That God throughout history has, 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 orchestra, has, has lived in such a way where, where uh, he's, excuse me, he's related to his people in such a way that he has made promise after promise after promise after promise to them and the rest of the world was excluded until now. It's a huge deal. Again, we take church membership lightly, but the history of the world culminated in the cross of Jesus Christ to make this possible. To where there, there is no nationality requirement to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. You have to be a human being. You have to claim his name. And you're in. And you're part of the family. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Here's some quotes that, that you may find shocking, uh, but I think that they hold a, a large degree of truth. Mark Dever uh, said, if you call yourself a Christian, but you are not a member of, a, of the church you regularly attend, I worry that you might be going to hell. Strong words. 
Cyprian of Carthage, an early church father, said, No one can have God for their father who does not have the church for their mother. Martin Luther said, Apart from the church, salvation is impossible. Remember, Luther had a problem with the church, right? Right? He started a, a reformation. That's why we exist, you know, as Protestants and as Presbyterians. Okay? If that's, if that's where you claim. So it wasn't that there wasn't a point in time where the church had, had forgotten the authority of the Word of God and needed some work. And yet, what does he say? He didn't abandon the idea, right? He reformed it because they had lost the Bible. They just lost it. You see? The goal of the cross, listen to this, was the church. That Jesus certainly died to bring you as an individual, you, to Christ, but he also, he bring, to bring, excuse me, to bring you to God, but more than that, he died to bring y'all to God as a people. So much, we are influenced, we don't even realize it so much, we talk about this probably every other week, by the values of the Enlightenment. Our culture is very, very entrenched in the ideas of the Enlightenment, which was a philosophical movement hundreds of years ago. And what the, this, for the first time really in history, um, the individual desires, accomplishments, and needs were placed above that of the collective group. Okay? And so Western society as a whole, Europe, America, some other Western cultures, really uh, value the, 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 the needs, desires, wants of the individual over that of the group. But so much of the rest of the world doesn't operate that way, right? That the needs of the group trump every single time the needs of the, of the individual. For example, failure in our culture equals not achieving personal happiness and fulfillment. Okay, that's how we define failure, all right? But in Eastern cultures, failure is always bringing shame to the family. That's what failure looks like in, the, in those cultures. By the way, God does both. Brings you to Him individually and corporately. Okay? So it's not like but one is more biblical than the other. It's just we have an overemphasis on one. Make sense? Okay? And so that's one of the reasons why this idea of membership is, is a struggle for us. Okay? It's not as entrenched to us. But Jesus' death and resurrection made a way for every culture to be a part of the family of God. And one day when He comes back and makes everything right, new heavens and new earth... What's going to happen is you're going to be in perfect communion with God forever and with the family. Now listen, family reunions get a little aggravating sometimes, right? You know, Uncle Larry's going crazy or whatever it is, you know what I mean? Some things are happening, old stories are brought up or whatever the situation is. But however, isn't there is a beauty to it at the same time? It's just, it's just there's a beauty to getting together with a family. And whenever you say family, for most of us, some of us have had very bad experiences. I don't know if I can say most of us, but for a lot of us still, that family, bring, that word family just brings warmth into our emotions, right? That's a picture of glory. With God, redeemed creation, family union at all times, great relationships. There is a community that the gospel made possible, okay? The covenant people of God is... In, is the church of Jesus Christ. And in the church, we can get a foretaste of heaven in our relationships. Imperfectly, because we're still sinners, right? And it doesn't take, even church people, you can be around church people, it doesn't take that long. Someone's going to aggravate you. Someone's going to sin against you, right? We're imperfect. However, that you can taste something in the church that you just can't taste anywhere else in the world. It's like baking a cake, you know? You, you get to sample the, the, the icing, 
sample the batter. It's not as good as the real thing, but it's still sweet. It's the same thing that's happening right now, okay, with this idea of church membership. That God has established a distinction in the world between His people and the rest of the world. And that distinction is that He is in covenant with them. Now that language to you, covenant, may or may not be very familiar. But it's extremely important language in the Bible. Uh, The covenant, as Josh defined it to me earlier, that's a great way to define it, is the way that God throughout the Bible commits Himself to His people. You'll see this throughout the Bible, that God is continually committing Himself to His people. In fact, you can organize the Bible... And you can organize the process of your salvation through the lens of covenants. That God made a promise to Adam and he broke it. And then after that there was a promise, a covenant of grace. That he's going to redeem the world. And then as that covenant unfolds throughout the rest of history, it does through subsequent covenants. That God makes a covenant with Noah and Abraham, and Moses, and David, and then finally, Jesus' covenant with us to secure our salvation forever. That's how your salvation, and even the Bible itself, can be organized through the lens of how God is related to His people. Now, these covenants are, now listen to this, these covenants are God Himself binding Himself to you. Just think about that. God has no obligation to you but he has bound himself to you. And there's a commitment that comes along with that. Okay? There's a commitment that comes along with that. J.I. Packer, when he talks about covenant theology, he calls it the theology of pronouns. Covenant theology is the reason you can say, my God. It's the reason that God can say, his people. My people. Right? It's because of covenant theology. Okay? It's what we see in, in this specific passage that, that for the first time in history, Gentiles have access to this covenant. They have access to this, to this family. They are binding themselves. And the, the, the cost of this membership was extremely expensive. Verse 13, we already talked about it. It was Jesus' blood. You know, I was thinking about elite memberships this uh, past week, and the one that came to mind was Augusta National. I know there's some golfers in the room, right? Augusta National is the, it's the most famous golf club. It's one of the most elite clubs to be a part of, period, right? Only 300 members. I think it's about, it, the research I did is no one really knows because you have to be invited to be a part of this, the, this. but anywhere from $20,000 to $40,000 a year uh, to be a member of Augusta National. But the fee for this was paid for you. The fee for this membership was paid for you. However, there is a commitment on your part. Okay? There is a covenant that you make to God's church. Just before we move on to point two, just let me say this, and hopefully in brief. I think it's a compelling argument. Um, One of my favorite books on marriage is called The Meaning of Marriage, and Dr. Tim Keller makes this argument in in that book that relationships in general only flourish in deep commitment and covenant. Okay? Take, take the most precious relationship, the deepest human relationship possible, marriage. Now, the essence of marriage that we would define today in terms of how we feel about it and what we hear and see and read in books and watch in movies is the essence of marriage is deep feeling and passion. passion. That's actually not even close to what the essence of marriage is. 
deep feelings and passion and desire and attraction just don't last forever. They just don't. And if you're going to base something like marriage on that, then you're putting it on sand. The essence of marriage is not your deep, passionate feelings, even though they need to be there. I'm not trying to say that. They just don't last forever. Or they go up and down. Okay? It's just true, true, true life. The essence of marriage, listen to this, the bedrock of marriage is deep commitment. The essence of marriage is not passionate feeling. It is a binding covenantal commitment. Love is a commitment. Love is a choice. You stand up at the altar and you look at it. Josh just went to a wedding. He told us about that. You stand up at the altar and you look in each other's eye and you say, it does not matter what happens. Doesn't matter what storm comes across our way. Doesn't matter how I feel. Doesn't matter what I think. I am committing myself to you. And that relationship, that covenant, is what makes that relationship beautiful. You know, popular, we hear it in movies all the time, um, where people say, I, I love you. I don't need a piece of paper to tell me that. I couldn't be further from the truth, though. Because without that commitment, they can walk at any time. In fact, when you covenant yourself to someone, it allows intimacy to happen because you know they're not going anywhere. And for the first time, you can let your guard down. You don't have to market yourself anymore because they're yours. You can actually be who you are. There is intimacy and there is security when it's legal. And when there's a binding commitment attached to it. There's two types of relationships, really. There's consumer relationships and covenantal relationships. You go to the grocery store, you don't like their prices, you leave. You're out, right? Consumer relationship. However, think about a parent-child. If you just say, you know what, this kid's crying a lot, he stinks about every 45 minutes. Um, He's expensive. Goodness gracious, that car seat's like $800. I'm just going to leave him on my neighbor's doorstep. That's illegal in our country. Why? Because we still recognize that that commitment is over and above your feelings. Because relationships with commitment flourish. And the point that I'm trying to make is the same is true in the church of Jesus Christ. That relationships cannot flourish. Friendships Membership in the church cannot flourish without commitment. It's not possible. Love is a choice, not a feeling. Has feelings. Love is a choice. Okay? Now God has covenanted himself to his church with his own blood. And the question that I'm asking to you, I'm asking of myself, is what skin do you have in the game? Number two, church membership is a covenant relationship. Verses 14 through 22. Now, I could spend all day exegeting every part of these verses. There's so much in these, in these verses, but I'm not, because I'm using it to, this morning to talk specifically about church membership. But let's look at what happens here in verses 14 through 18. What's happened is Jesus saying that these two men who are at odds, as a metaphor, Jews and Gentiles, are now coming together as one. They were at war, now they're at peace. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. 
His purpose was to create in himself one new man of the old, and thus making peace. Verse 16, And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. This is the message of Christianity. Ready for this? Okay? There's a lot of people saying what the message of Christianity is. Verse 17, He came and preached what? Peace to you who are far away and peace to you who are near. Peace is available with God. Peace is available with each other. Okay? Church membership is a covenant relationship. God is binding himself to you and you are committing yourself to him. You're committing yourself to each other. That's what church membership is. I hope that in this passage you'll be able to see the beauty of church membership. Again, verse eight, verse 19. I can't go through. I wish I could go through every part of this. I can't. Verse 19. Consequently, look at this language. You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household. That phrase right there is where we get the term membership. Okay? members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ as a chief cornerstone in Him. The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And by Him and in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Look at all the images there. There's so many images. Foreigners, aliens brought together, fellow citizens uh, we, I mean, we, there's so much we could talk about that now with the illustration we're having with the border crisis that's all going on. People are wanting to be citizens, citizens in the kingdom of God and the family of God, are, are house, members of the household, and the illustration that all of us are being joined together for this purpose. All of us are being joined together for this purpose that we can have such an expression of God within us that all of us are magnified and glorified at the same time as we magnify and glorify God. There's so much in that specific passage he now calls this people the church that in christ you have access to god and and you have access to each other in a new profound and beautiful way and your commitment to that is what we call church membership okay we are members of the household of god again mark dever he says a temple has bricks a flock has sheep a vine has branches and a body has members The point here is simple, is that the church is the new covenant people of God. To be a Christian is to be in covenant with God, and also to be a Christian is also to find covenant with the church. And that's why we stress membership here at King's Church. It's why we're talking about this, that church membership is not just a loose association that you have with a group of people, or a loose association that you have with an organization. It is the new covenant people of God, the very people of God, is what the church of Jesus Christ is. And that's why we talk about membership. And like any relationship, it comes with blessings and responsibilities, which is our third point this morning. Very quickly, the blessings and responsibilities of church membership. The blessings we see in this passage, right? We also see in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, I don't have time to read it, but it's where the Spirit of God comes on the church for the first time. And believers, are they love each other, and they're spending time in each other's homes, and all kind of stuff is going on. You know, it's interesting. In uh, World War II, I just heard this recently. In World War II, uh, the veterans of World War II, most of them are dying. But about ten years ago, they were interviewed and, and about that time in their life. So the survivors, husbands, wives, everybody involved. 
in England. Some, several of them were, were interviewed and asked about that time in their lives. And almost all of them said this, that they would never want to go back, but that actually those times were some of the happiest times of their life. Isn't that curious? Why? And they were asked why. And it's because we were all together focusing on one thing. War and, and winning the war. And whenever you served, it didn't matter who you were serving with. It didn't matter what color they were, where they were from, how much money they made, whose family they came from. We were all in it together. Focusing on the mission. You know what that sounds like? The church, the only organization in the history of the world that has ever brought together every socioeconomic stratus, every racial and ethnic stratus. Not this church, we're talking about the big family, right? We're doing our best, but we're just one expression. You won't find that anywhere else in the history of the world. In fact, every other organization keeps people out. You see what I'm saying? It's the beauty of the church. What responsibilities do you have? Commitment to being together, loving each other, choosing your leaders. I could go on and on and on, but I'm running out of time. The vows that you take in membership uh, at King's Church, if that's something that you want to pursue or have pursued. Give the, the extent of your commitment to, to love, follow, submit, serve, all of those things. It's interesting this is an old, old stat. This is from 1998. That only 43% of adults who say they are Christian are absolutely committed to the Christian faith. Your relationships will never flourish outside of commitment. It's not possible. It's not possible. That, that church membership should be a reflection of a living commitment or it's worthless. And it's probably even more than worthless. It's probably dangerous. That's what it is. Final point, quickly, then we'll be done. The connection of church membership to the subject of leadership. Just a few points here. As we're going through this process of choosing leadership, so we, we have to, I feel like, elevate the value of membership so that we can then elevate, elevate the subject of leadership. Does that make sense? That was the whole goal here. That you have a commitment to the church. You have a commitment to God, to the church, and to submit if you're a member. And then leaders have a commitment to God and the church to lead. And the primary imagery that's used is shepherding. Now what does a shepherd do for the sheep? Feeds them, shears them, mends them, brings them back into the fold whenever they're trying to leave. He's concerned about them, spends time with them. You can go on and on and on and on. This job of a leader is to care for God's people. That's a responsibility. It's a really high and noble calling as well. It's a high and noble calling and a tremendous responsibility. And so as we're, as we're moving into this where we're choosing our own leaders, we need to elevate this idea of membership in general. So three closing thoughts. Ready? Something for you to think about, for you to know, is that God is committed to the members of his church, so committed that he bled. And the question that we need to ask is, how committed are we to his church? Okay, I, I want you to esteem the value of the church in your own mind. It's a big deal. Now how about feel? What should you feel? 
I hope that in the church of Jesus Christ you feel belonging. Family. Loneliness is a real thing, and, and many, if not most people, suffer from it. Where can you find relationships that matter? My prayer is at King's Church. The answer is here. It's one of the reasons why we focus on community groups, so that you can find a sense of belonging. And one of the jobs of leaders is to keep that vision alive. And then finally, what can we do? Be committed to a local church. This one, I pray, or another one. If you're, if, uh, it's interesting. This is fascinating. Um, same Keller on the same book said that two-thirds of people who say they're unhappy in marriage, okay, people who say they're unhappy in marriage, two-thirds of them, if they remain in the marriage for five years, will say that they're happy. You follow that? They say they're unhappy, but if they stay for five years, two-thirds of that same group will say they're now happy. Commitment. Okay? It doesn't work for everybody. I understand there's reasons. Well, it's another sermon. But our, one of the reasons I feel like that many, so many of us are unhappy with the church is because we keep breaking up with her. To those um, who are looking for membership, we're going to be offering that soon, and we'll let you know more about that. Okay? Um, to the members of King's Church, I would say this. Remember your commitment. Remember your commitment. Remember your vows. And remember that commitment is the essence to flourishing relationships. The beauty of the gospel is this. John chapter 1 and verse 10. That he, Jesus was in the world... And he and the world was made through him, but the world did not recognize him. That he came to that which his own, but his own did not receive him. That Jesus died for people who had broken their covenant. And he brought them back in. He ran away from the family, and he brought them back in. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus at all, I'd love to talk to you about that. I'd love to talk to you about how you can get to know God personally. And I'd also love to talk to you about how you can get to know his family. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, the blood of Jesus Christ and what you've purchased for us. And we thank you that you have created a people. And we pray, God, that you would help us to be committed to your body. We pray for the future leaders that we will elect at King's Church, and that they as well will be committed to the care of this expression of your body, the church of Jesus Christ. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.